my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Spooner. He is a former Special Forces and Warrior's Heart co-founder. His service to our nation in the U.S. Army spanned nearly 21 years. His military career included time in the 82nd Airborne. He served as a Green Beret in the United States Army's 7th Special Forces Group, and ultimately in the United States Army's 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta as an operator. Now, since retiring from the military in 2011, Tom has successfully enabled thousands of warriors to acknowledge their struggles, seek treatment, and understand that they are not alone. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, Warriors Heart LLC and, and Warriors Heart Foundation, uh, the nonprofit that that uh, he founded with. Um, I'm sorry, you you founded it with Josh and Lisa Lannon. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep, those are my partners. And uh, I mean, the work that you're doing, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about it. But just to 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 set the stage, the the experiences that you've had really are what shaped you and, and led you on this path to to helping you know, your, your fellow warriors and, and, you know, first responders, uh, law enforcement, firefighters, all that. It's, uh, it's really cool. And, and I want to, as we dig a little bit deeper, um, I know that we'll talk about what it is that Warriors Heart Foundation does specifically, because it, it, you do a lot of stuff with, with those guys. And there's, uh, I, I was reading, um, it, it's like in-house treatment um, where uh, people actually can stay on site and, and get healed. Yeah. Yeah, man. 42 day inpatient treatment facility. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess let's let's start off with where it all began. Um, where were you born and raised, and and who were the major influences on your life that led you into the army? Right on, man. Yeah, I was. Uh, so number one, thanks for having me. And um, so I was I was born in a in a little town called uh, Belgrade, Florida. It's uh, right next to uh, a Hokey. Chosen, Cluiston, and all those other names that no one's ever heard of before. So it was a really small town. Um, but uh, that's where I, I lived the majority of my life uh, up until I was 17 years old. Um, the influences in my life, uh, my grandfather 
uh, on my dad's side, you know, he was a law enforcement officer for, you know, almost 35 years. Uh, so it was on that side. My grandfather on, on my mom's side was a uh, World War II veteran. Um, and then an uncle on my mom's side was a uh, three-tour Vietnam vet. So it was, uh, and, so I've always wanted to join the military. I just, you know, just one of those things as, as far back as I can remember, that's just what I wanted to do. And then those influencers that I had in my life, you know, that, that were in the military, you know, and, and had been to war and everything. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to do. So that was, that was the big influencers of mine. And then, um, and then uh, when I was after I was 17 years old, I went and uh, we moved to West Palm Beach, Florida, not Palm Beach, Florida, West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, so, uh, and I lived there for a couple of years, graduated high school there from uh, Forest Hill High School. And then uh, I participated in the Florida State ROTC program uh, for uh, about a year and a half. Uh, I, so I pretended somehow I got like 43 credits, uh, but uh, I, I, did, well, I did not successfully complete uh, like my college education. I was having a a little bit too much fun and and I did a lot of drinking and uh that kind of got in the way of things obviously and then uh and then I joined the military in uh, 1990 uh, but those back to your question is like that's where I grew up and uh, uh I got a younger brother and a younger sister and uh and those were the influencers you know in my life you know then and then rolling into the military what was uh what was life like growing up in Belgrade and yeah, you know, what would you do for fun out in the sticks? Yeah, so it and and, and it it all ties into uh, uh, you know everything my whole life, like you mentioned, is uh, culminates you know with Warrior's Heart. You know, what I mean, so everything that we do out there is all based out of my experience. So, you know, being in a small town, you know, had had great family. Uh, you know, that came from uh, my my dad was an alcoholic growing up. You know. Uh, but, but he wasn't a monster or something uh, big like that. But, you know, it was, uh, it came up a little bit rough, you know, uh, but, but a lot of love, a lot of family. Um, wasn't a lot to do in small towns other than, you know, South Florida play football because uh, that's the religion. And, um, and I love doing that. And, uh, you know, did a lot of partying, a lot of drinking, a lot of hanging out in the cane fields, you know, and riding motorcycles and, uh, you know, and lifting weights and, you know, that was really the kind of thing you either make it out of there in uh, professional sports or join the military, you know, <laughs> so wanna, uh, and where I come from anyway. And then uh, obviously I did not make it into professional sports. Uh, <laughs> the military was my route, but it was, uh, but it was good. You know, I mean, I always had really, really good family, you know, looking out for me and that, you know, carried out throughout my life. So you joined the army in, in 1990 and at some point you you went through selection for special forces um how how far into your army career were you by the time you decided that that's the route you wanted to go right so i, I joined the army in 1990 i'd already been to airborne school or jump school paratrooper school you know and um when I was a cadet as an ROTC. So as soon as I joined, it was the summer of 90 and that's whenever uh, Iraq in great, you know, uh, invaded Kuwait. So the Gulf War, you know, had kicked off at that time or what they ended up calling it. 
And um, so when I was at basic training and in a, you know, in advanced training, and then I reported to Fort Bragg to the 82nd and uh, in a, I was in the infantry and then I was at Fort Bragg for about a month and then uh, deployed, you know, to uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, and then to Iraq. So, you know, within the first six months of me joining, you know, and then I was in combat. So that, that set the tone, you know, for my career and what it was like, you know, being in, being in the military. So I spent uh, five years in the 82nd and, uh, and I loved every unit that I was in. I absolutely loved being in and the guys that I worked with. I just was always trying to push myself and see like, Hey, what, what can I do next? You know? So, but every place I was at, like when I was in the 82nd, I went to Ranger school, I went to jump master school. I, I just loved it. You know, I mean, the military was the one place where uh, I could be fully myself, you know what I mean? Where I fit in that culture, I was good at it. Uh, you know, so it was, it was good. So I spent five years in the 82nd uh, and then I went to special forces selection um, in in like December of 1995. And uh, so I made it there at selection. And then uh, I went to the Q course, they call it, or the qualification course. And I got qualified as 18 Charlie, which is a special forces engineer. Uh, so it's building stuff and blowing stuff up, you know? So I was, uh, I got lucky, uh, uh, I picked that. That's what I wanted to do. Cause I mean, who doesn't like blowing stuff up, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I did that and I, uh, after I completed the, the qualification course and got my Green Beret and Special Forces tab, then I, uh, I went to seventh group, which uh, seventh group, uh, the region that they work in is in Central and South America. So I went to language school, learned Spanish, uh, and then I immediately started going to Central and South America. Uh, and then I did that job for uh, almost six years. So from 19, uh, 95 uh, to 2001 and uh, went to all kinds of countries, all pre 9-11. And, um, uh, but I did a bunch of deployments from Colombia to Ecuador, to Honduras, to Panama, to Belize, to, I mean, it was just a, a lot of travel and a lot of, a lot of teaching, but it was mainly uh, some counter narcotic stuff, but it was, uh, it was just, Again, it was another unit and it was great people that I was working with and I loved the job. Uh, but that was my time uh, there uh, from 96 to 2001. And then in September of 2001, I went to uh, Delta Selection. Uh, didn't think I was going to make it. Like I just didn't. Uh, and I, and I, had a, I was kind of older for the military uh, older, not regular folks. But uh, I was 31. I... Uh, already had 11 years in, I was a senior, sergeant first class, getting ready to take a team, but I didn't want, um, I, did, I didn't want the regret of not trying. I, I never thought I'd make, it. I mean, if we'd have been betting out of them, like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to give it my all, but like, I wouldn't have bet on me, you know, to make <laughs> uh, you know, but I did. And um, so I made it, you know, and then I uh, went to the training course there, uh, in, right at the beginning of 2002. Well, I got there at the end of 2001. And um, so then I uh, made it as an operator. And then uh, I was an operator there from 2001 to 2011. Ended up doing 12 deployments, had 40 total months time in combat, uh, and then retired in 2011. 
But one significant thing that happened back in 1992 was because uh, uh, I had struggled with alcoholism uh, at an early age, you know, just, it was, I was a mess, uh, even early on. And, um, but it was uh, in 1992, I got sober, you know, uh, went and got some, uh, not on my own. I wish I could tell you like, whoa, I just straightened myself up. But now I ended up needing to get help at an early age. I was 22 years old, you know, had two years in the army, was super successful in the army, but I was destroying my personal life, you know? And uh, so I got sober then, uh, went to AA, 12 step work, brought, you know, sponsors, all of that stuff, meetings, and, uh, and it changed my life, you know? And then from that moment on, you know, I mean, I've been getting after sobriety now for, you know, 29 years. and. Uh, so that really, you know, shaped uh, me moving forward because, you know, I was, you know, I didn't struggle with chemical dependency or self-medication, you know, or getting drunk and screwing up my career or screwing up my family, you know, and uh, so I proved that you can actually be in special operations and not drink, you know, and uh, so it's, <laughs> and not that, not that I'm uh, against drinking by any means, you know, it's a big part of all of our cultures, you know, in uh, firefighters, law enforcement, military, you know, drinking, there's nothing wrong with drinking. It's a big part of the culture, but where it is a problem, if it's destroying your career, if it's destroying your family, it's like, yeah, I have a problem with that. And so should everyone else, you know? And um, so I'm not the sobriety, I'm not that the alcohol police by any means. And, uh, but anyway, that, you know, that shaped me and who I was as a man, who I was as a dad, a, husband a, a soldier you know and um you know and that carried me all the way through uh, a lot of a lot of hard times and then uh, and then i retired in 2011 I ended up getting medically retired uh but i had over the 20 year piece but it was uh i was pretty banged up at the end yeah can can you talk a little bit about that because uh I, you know i read that you've got uh TBI, um, you, you struggled with PTSD, and I would imagine it's directly related to uh, your deployments. Yeah, yeah, man, it was, uh, so the, a couple of things that happened on the TBI side, and uh, one of my deployments in 2006, I had a uh, 82 millimeter mortar round land about 20 yards from me, so uh, it went as, uh, unbeknownst to me, I mean, obviously got knocked out and, you know, huge explosion and everything. Um, but I didn't know it as, uh, as that's whenever I got my uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, and how I know that that's true is, uh, is because I can tell you what, how I was and how I moved through life prior to, you know, September the 1st of 2006, you know, uh, compared to how I was after that. You know, but at the time, it was 2006, and I mean, everybody that I knew had been blown up, you know, so it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this weird thing, you know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was pretty common during those years, you know, for that to happen, so it was like, well, yeah, you know, that happens, so you just keep going, and then throughout the years, like, I would notice, like, some, uh, I was having some difficulty with my memory at times, um, but nothing that affected the job, you know, nothing that affected anything. And, uh, and then 
um, you know, like we said, with our professions, you know, military, law enforcement, firefighters, you know, we experienced a lot of traumatic events uh, voluntarily, right? You know, I mean, yeah. we, we volunteered for the job that put us in the position that was guaranteed that we're going to, you know, be in some traumatic experiences, you know, and um, so, you know, had a lot of those uh, with all those deployments and everything. And what I found for me, and obviously this is only me looking back at it, I didn't realize it at the time, but all that stuff uh, was a, accumulating, you know, it, uh, it was just kind of, you know, whether it was uh, the traumatic brain injury piece, which to me, you know, is a, a mechanical kind of break. And then you ha I have, those are just my words, you know, uh, like a hard mechanical break and then uh, with my brain and then then my emotional breaks that happened throughout. Most of that occurred from the usual, you know, hey, losing buddies, being in mass casualty events, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and then near the end, about 2010 timeframe, uh, you know, I had 20 years. So where, where I was at in the military at 19 years, uh, you had to decide if you were going to get out, you know, at 20 years or, or if you were going to reenlist and you would get a big bonus, you know, to stay to 25. And uh, I had always planned on, I was a super lifer, man. You know, I, like I was going to stay for 30 years, you know, until they kicked me out. That was, that was my plan. I just loved it. Uh, but then I, you know, I'd broken my back, back surgery, re-injured my back, leg surgery, shoulder surgery, you know, I mean, that profession, you know, really, really hard on your body. And then, you know, some injuries, combat injuries along the way. And um, so at the end of that time, I just, you know, uh, I couldn't wear kit anymore, you know, without taking narcotics. And because I was sober that, you know, that wasn't going to work for me. And uh, so basically it was like, well, I guess my run is done. You know, I mean, I physically couldn't do the job anymore. And there was a lot going on at that time too. I, uh, somewhere along the way, you know, uh, after 2006, between 2006 and 2009, which was my last deployment, um, you know, uh, I started a shift in my personality a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the team was being a little bit more important, became more important than my family, uh, which wasn't the case. I prided myself on you know, I mean, hey, I'm a professional soldier and my team's first when we're deployed and then home. And, um, but I really couldn't stop what was going on, you know, because uh, I didn't know any different. You know, it's just like our professions, you know, is you just keep going. Like yeah. if you get hurt, like, doesn't matter, like you keep going, right? Because no one's mm -hmm. coming for us. We're the people that come for other people. So, yeah. hey, figure it out, man, you know, and keep on going and don't quit. And um, so I kept doing that in a good way. Um, but then it was, uh, it was, it was a blessing for me, you know what I mean? That, that I, that I, if I had to choose of whether to stay in, I probably would have chosen to stay in and it would have been the wrong decision for me and my family, you know, and uh, cause my wife and I weren't about to get a divorce or anything, but, you know, we were struggling a little bit because uh, I'd have these big mood swings and I would, uh, I mean, my behavior was appropriate, but man, it's just, I wasn't, I wasn't me. So uh, I had a lot of uh, what, what I like referring to as unprocessed trauma, you know, and, um, and not everybody, uh, I mean, you know, this, it's like, you know, that we, you and I could have experienced the same event, you know, and, 
and you process it normally and hey it doesn't bother you it's like yeah it was a tough event but you know you're okay meanwhile it deadlines me you know and i need therapy and i need all this stuff because that's what we you know it's just, it just affects everybody different yeah. um but for me it was uh I, I mean i was bad off i ended up um they did a lot of testing on me and that's when they identified that i had a traumatic brain injury which meaning uh my processing speed you know was about at 50 percent uh and then my verbal memory was about at 50 percent and uh and so i was so i needed to go to cognitive therapy vestibular therapy psychological therapy i even needed to get on psych meds low dose but still psych meds for about six to eight months until you know i kind of leveled off uh but the thing about it was was all that stuff worked you know i mean it it's just like going to the gym. If you put in the work, you're going to get some results. You know, that, that was my experience. Um, but anyway, I've rambled on a lot. I'll pause, see if you guys could anything. No, well, well, I mean, I, I believe that leads us into um, what you're doing now with Warrior's Heart. How, how did that come about? Yeah, so when I, when I first got out, uh, in 2011, um, I mean, I had a really good reputation where, where I worked, uh, uh, had a really good career. And um, so I had a good resume. So uh, I didn't want to learn really anything new. Uh, so I just went into teaching uh, probably 80% law enforcement, you know, on the tactical side, the pistol, carbine, uh, CQB, sniper, you know, all the, all the stuff that was on my resume and was needed. And, uh, and I've always enjoyed and loved teaching. And, uh, and for me, it was just staying on the warrior path because I, I didn't die, uh, which was something that I really had to process because I thought, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to die. You know I mean? I didn't have a death wish, wasn't suicidal, but it was like, uh, it was like, I fully expected it to. So whenever I didn't, I'm like, well, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, so I had to process that. And it's like, well, you know, I love teaching. I love giving back. I love you know, these are guys and gals that are in the fight, you know, protecting us. And, uh, and I knew I had a lot of great experiences to pass on, you know, to them, uh, some kind of, in my opinion, some kind of gospel stuff, you know, uh, this is what happens in a gunfight, whether you're in Baltimore or Baghdad, it, when bullets start flying, this is what humans do. And uh, so I really enjoyed that and did it. And it really kept me involved and plugged in uh, to that culture. Uh, uh, which was super important for me, you know, as far as in my own personal transition out of the military and, and I really needed that and it worked, you know, so I did that for about um, until 2015, 16 timeframe. Uh, so for about four to five years, that's what I really did. And I needed to pay the bills. So it was, it was, uh, you know, I got out of the military and needed to get a job. And uh, so uh, I did that and loved it. But I always knew there was more. And meanwhile, one of my biggest passions, you know, uh, is sobriety, you know, and is helping folks, you know what I mean, ob obtain that that are struggling with it. So I continued that throughout my whole journey. Uh, but then to get to your question about Warrior's Heart, and it's part of the story is, is that uh, my partner, Josh Lannon, uh, how I met him was uh, we would put together what we called fun and guns uh, for this organization called the YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And uh, we put together a three-day event uh, in the woods here right outside of Camp McCall in North Carolina. 
uh, a place called Oak Grove training facility. And, um, and it was a three, it was, it was a hardcore event, right? Like guys had to be triathlons in really good shape. You know what I mean? It was, it was pretty hardcore, pretty tough. And, um, so I, me and my brother were Scott, you know, we were doing that. We were just, Hey man, doing work, trying to pay the bills and offering good training. And so it was good. And then uh, my partner, well, would be my partner, Josh Landon, was uh, was a guy that's like, man, I want to get some of this military type training. And uh, so he came to the course. So uh, so during that event, you know, that's where I met Josh, you know, and after that, you know, him and his wife, Lisa, husband and wife and, uh, and, and partners in business also, you know, they they had spent the previous 15 years, you know, um, running treatment facilities for chemical dependency, uh, mainly on the civilian side, you know, high quality, high level of care, uh, but they had done it, you know, and had 15 years of reps under their belts doing it. And they said, because uh, of their backgrounds, you know, they're like, hey, we want our, our next facility to be a veteran healing center. That was the idea of it at first. It's like, yeah, that was great. Cause I was really involved in veteran suicide you know, and the 22 a day and uh, mission 22, all that stuff. I was like, yeah, let's, I'd love to, you know what I mean? So um, it ended up being the perfect, perfect partnership because what I brought to the table, uh, they didn't have, you know, and, uh, and what they brought to the table, you know, I, I didn't have, you know, so it really made this perfect partnership where we couldn't have done it without one another. You know, and so that was in 2013 when we met. And then uh, we had just this idea of it. So it took a few years and we had took another year to find the properties. And uh, and we found the property, acquired the property and uh, did all the programming together. In April of 2016, uh, we opened up uh, Warrior's Heart, you know, fully licensed and credentialed. Uh, it's on a 543-acre ranch uh, in Bandera, Texas, you know, and, uh, and the idea for Warrior's Heart was uh, all of our life's work, basically, you know, so everything is based off of, uh, everything that goes on at Warrior's Heart is based off of my personal uh, experience uh, in therapies and in treatments with chemical dependencies, with unprocessed trauma. Uh, so there's nothing that goes on there that is theoretical or, you know, hey, let's try this out. You know, like none of, none of that goes on. You know, it's a it's an all experience based uh, training facility is what it is. Get cleaned up, get trained up, get back into the fight. You know, whether that's just in life or a lot of folks comes to us also, they're still in the job. Uh, firefighters, law enforcement, paramedics, active duty, military members. A lot of them, you know, I mean, are still on the job. You know, and um, and then you have the other folks, you know, what I mean, that aren't in the job anymore, um, that are ready just to get back into life. You know, and that's that's what we do out there. Now, how do you determine if somebody would be a good fit for that that program? Yeah. So first of all, it's uh, we only handle uh, warrior population. Warrior population defined as as those that face life and death on a daily basis as a profession. You know, so that's our paramedics, that's our firefighters, that's our law enforcement, that's our government officials, agencies that you know, other government agencies, everything that works in that field. And uh, so that that's what makes up the population. So we're the only one in the in the nation that serves just that population, you know, collectively. 
So that's the first requirement, you know, is, is to be part of the, that population. Um, then the next requirements is, is um, you know, we're not a lockdown facility. Uh, uh, where And what I mean by that is our level of care that they call. So the level of care that we handle is you have to get screened medically, you know, because we're not a hospital, but we do have, uh, you know, medical director, full medical facilities there. Um, and we're not a lockdown unit. So you have to pass the screening on the medical side of the house uh, and then on the psychological side of the house. And on the psychological side of the house, meaning, uh, you know, some folks have uh, schizophrenia or extreme bipolar or multiple personality disorders, you know, we're, we don't fit that level of care. Um, so we do a really good job of screening uh, because it's a voluntary uh, deal you know what i mean if somebody wants to leave they can call for a ride you know you don't there's no place to escape you know you're you're free so obviously in order to be there you have to be able to make decent decisions you have to be able to have enough cognition you have to you know have enough uh, psychological uh, positive aspects about you to you know to to not need another facility like that so so that's just the requirements you know to be from the warrior population uh, past the screening aspects. Um, and then whenever it comes to the financial aspects of it, you know, that's where we take TRICARE, we take all the different kinds of insurances that folks have. Um, and then also the private pay aspect of it. And then there's also uh, the scholarship aspect of which that's where Warriors Heart Foundation comes into play. Uh, but that's also, we have a lot of other folks that help us out, big one being uh, Gary Sinise Foundation, um, the Avalon Fund, you know, a bunch of different folks, Black Rifle Coffee. There's a lot of folks that help warriors out um, that that may have, may have burned it all to the ground, you know, burned in their finances because we're primary diagnosis, chemical dependency. So alcohol, drugs, you know, to, of any nature, you know, I mean that, but that's our primary. Our primary is chemical dependency and a secondary um, is co-occurring conditions, which we know is post-traumatic stress, moral grief and injury, uh, mild traumatic brain injury, all the other, you know, different alphabet soup, you know, that comes with, uh, comes with the job, you know, uh, that, that's what I always just come back to is, is that, hey, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about it before we started on the stigmas and on all of that that's out there. The, the funny thing about it is, is if someone's struggling, you know, from the job anyway, struggling with PTS or moral grief and injury, those kind of things, they should give us a badge for that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it, it should be an award, not a, not a negative thing, because like, hey, man, you did what the majority of the population was unwilling to do. I don't mean that in a bad way. Some We all know that a lot of people aren't built to do that job and we need people in every job. Because hey, so you volunteered to run into the fire. You volunteered to run into the buildings, you know what I mean, to get into the gunfights. Like, you know, you know, you take care of all of us, you know, whether in that population, you know. So when folks call 911, you know what I mean? Whether it's a fire, whether it's law, you know, whatever's going on or country gets attacked, you know, we're the ones that protect our people, you know, and then it comes down to, okay, well, who's helping those that help us, you know, and, and we all know it's mainly internal, uh, but not a lot of folks, you know, so, 
um, that's one of a few of our slogans out there. You know, one of them is, is uh, warriors healing warriors. You know, uh, I mean, we have our psychologists, we have our uh, professionals, you know, licensed chemical dependency counselors and subject matter experts. But at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's really doing what we do best and that's helping out our buddies. Uh, you, you know what I mean? When we see someone struggling, I mean, we help them out. It's the nature of who we are individually, you know, and collectively. What do you think keeps that stigma in place? I mean, there's so much research out there. Everybody knows the reality of these professions. And yet you still have people that are like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I think it comes back, I can, and I just always stay within my own experience, because you can argue with my opinion, but you can't argue with my experience, you know what I'm saying, because you not like it, but it, this is what happened, and uh, and I remember, you know, I mean, especially when I was young, you know, I was one of those guys, you know, suck it up, wuss, you know what I mean, it's like, can't handle the job, you know, you need to go on, you know, I was that guy at one time, you know, so I, I get that culture, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a big part of it. And, and, but then I learned, you know I mean? I, I grew up, I matured, I seen what the job was and uh, especially, you know, stay in long-term because it's easy if you're just in for a few years and you get out, you know, and nothing really big happened and that kind of, you know, I could see how you could stay in that mindset, but you know, if you're on the job for a long time, uh, you know, you know what comes with the job, you know, I mean, you know, guys and gals are gonna, they're gonna struggle. Uh, and most of them are your rock stars. You know, I mean, the people that you don't want to lose. Uh, that's just, I don't know why that is, but it's usually the case. And, uh, and so to me, it's that stigma is gonna, to some degree is gonna always be there. So that I don't really try to fight the stigma too much. But what we what I do try to do is, uh, is change the narrative, you know, it's like, hey, there's always going to be people, I'll give you a perfect example, when I left uh, special operations, and I started talking about, you know, PTS and TBI and my own struggles, I mean, the only reason why I was doing that was, was to help the next person, you know what I mean, and that's what I had learned in sobriety early on, hey, if you've got problems you talk about them and that enables you to keep going you know and then you try to help someone else out with it you know so I was just trying to survive you know when I started talking about these struggles and everything number one and then um but what ended up happening as a byproduct was a lot of these folks were coming out of the woodwork and you know a lot of people I don't put me on a pedestal by any means because I know me and uh is that uh but a lot of people because of my resume put me on this pedestal and um and because I was talking about my own personal problems and my own personal struggles, they came up to me and said, like, Tom, uh, if you're having struggles, then that means it's okay if I have struggles, you know, and I was like, I'd never thought, that was never my intention, you know, was, uh, I mean, my intention was to help if I could, but it was, uh, but this other dynamic started to occur and, and, uh, and I never thought about it until someone mentioned it to me. And it's, that's why it's so important that, um, that the ones that can and are willing to talk about, you know, being honest and struggles that we do, you know, uh, I don't put that on everybody because it's not everybody's jam, you know, um, but, um, but to me, it's about changing that narrative. It's about, 
you know, uh, one of our slogans out there too is strength through healing. You know, when I learned that, I was fortunate enough learning that early in my career, you know, of, uh, of, I, of this issue that I had, which, you know, uh, was, was chemical dependency, you know what I mean, with alcohol for me is, uh, you know, I was going to end up losing my job. You know what I mean? And, um, and the army would have a loss of, of what I ended up becoming, you know, which was, Hey, at the top of the army's food chain, you know? So, um, so by, by, by asking for help, by seeking it and by doing that, I got stronger and I was even a better soldier than I ever was without it. So to me, it's about changing that narrative that, Hey, not everybody needs help. You know what I mean? That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it, but to, to kind of say that that should be the case for everyone, it's just not true. And we can't afford to lose uh, our performers. You know what I mean? The ones that are, that, you know, I mean, get it done and they're struggling with alcohol or they're struggling, you know, I mean, with prescription drugs or something happened, you know, getting an operation, they get hooked on pills and, you know, from the job, it's like, hey, let's just acknowledge that it exists. Uh, and then get into motion of like, hey, responsibility and requirements. Like, hey, bro, you got this problem. We want to keep you, but you got to sort it out. You know what I mean? And we're going to provide that for you, you know, in a way to do it. So there's that level of responsibility. But what I saw, um, uh, I only have my military experience, you know, which they've gotten light years as far as that stigma and, and, and seeking help you know, compared to 30 years ago, let's say, but it's all very slow and going, but it's, it's at least moving in the right direction. But then what I experienced mainly with law enforcement, but I would imagine it's in firefighting also and in the other non-military jobs is that then they have this liability thing, you know, uh, which is real, yeah. you know, I mean, to some degree. So you know, it's a tough spot, you know, but so with all of that being said and all the complexities and all the personalities and the chains of command and all of that politicians and everything included, it's just, it's, to me, it's about changing that narrative. It's like, Hey, you know I mean? It doesn't make you weak to seek help. You know I mean? I, I just speak if on the military side, you know, it's like, no one would think anything about it. If I sucked at shooting a pistol, you know, like I'm out there on the range and I'm just, you know, not very good at it uh, because I haven't received training. And they're like, hey, well, we're going to send you to this course, you know, a shooting course so you can become a better shooter. It was like, I mean, that's common practice. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, it's like, hey, if you want to get better, then you go to this course. You go to that course, you get stronger, you get better, you come back and now you're a bigger asset to the unit. You know, so uh, the funny thing is, is, is the same thing should apply to mental and emotional health. Uh, you know, it's like if you would have asked me whenever I was struggling with unprocessed trauma and PTS and all that stuff, I'd be like, Tom, are you, what are you struggling with? Oh, I'm struggling, you know, mentally and emotionally, you know, uh, it's like, well, when's the last time you received your mental and emotional training? It's like, well, I haven't. And it's like, well, then doesn't make doesn't it make sense that you suck at dealing with what's going on? Yeah. You know, but it's you know, that's to me is the narrative. That's to me is where the conversations have to go, you know, of, of like, hey, we do it in practice now. Let's just do it with with our emotions and, and mental, you know, uh, before 
you get to the spot you know ideally it would be really front loaded in the culture like hey you know in this job you're going to experience a lot of things that most human beings don't uh, and you may or may not struggle with them and when you if you do have some struggles here's the route that we have for you versus keeping it all in keeping it all in yeah nothing's wrong nothing to see here meanwhile guys and gals are drinking themselves to death or you know what i mean or working themselves to death you know because it and um and then the inevitable happens they they get in trouble they screw up at work you know and then they or at home you know something and then and then now we've just lost a person just you know i mean just from a logical return on investment aspect of it you know it's like uh, we can do better you know I like the analogy of the the firearms education, you know, because it, it it plays really well with the idea of like, okay, just say you you just push through and you keep on shooting that gun like you think is working, like oh yeah, I'm I'm working this gun right, and it's not until you're in the heat of some shit and you realize crap i i mean i'm working this thing wrong and you've already developed all these bad habits mm-hmm. now when you get sent to training there's a lot of things that you got to work on to unlearn those bad yeah. habits yeah so if you could front load that that training or that education or that you know i'm I'm going to process these events, whether they seem big or not. Mm-hmm. It's part of the culture to process this stuff. This is how I felt. Yeah. This is how I feel about this, because that's really what it comes down to. It's not so much the traumatic event. It's how we experienced it. Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's plenty of people that I worked with throughout my career that, I mean, we pushed through together and maybe they, maybe they experienced it differently than me, but I'd be willing to bet that out of all the stuff that we ran together, there's enough of it that they're struggling the same way that I did. Exactly. Exactly, man. Yeah, unless you're a psychopath or sociopath, you know, I mean, a normal human being that experiences the kind of things that our professions offers us, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to have, it's going to come out some way. And, and that's where to me is about the, the narrative, even, even, you know, front loading it, uh, not with training and everything, just in conversation, you know, all from the old guys, you know, that is like, hey, look, uh, you may or may not you know, because everybody's different, they have a different skill set, tools, emotional capabilities, you know, and all of that is that, but on, you know, in this job, if you find yourself becoming very hypervigilant, that's an indicator that there's something unprocessed, you know, that the way you feel about something that's going on is kind of unprocessed. If you catch it early on, you don't need to go to rehab, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's like, hey, you know, you don't even have to come forward uh, to your organization you know that maybe if you catch it early on you 
get some self-help books, you know, you do some exercises, you do some yoga. I mean, you learn some different, um, one word they turn, they use it as coping skills, you know what I mean? But it's more than that, you know, it's just uh, you figure out something, maybe it's just you go fishing a little more, you know what I mean? But you do something that's therapeutic to you, you know, to, to work through some of these things that we know occurs on the job, you know, that eventually is going to affect me in a negative way if I don't address them in a healthy way you know so if we started talking about those kind of things uh, uh early on you know what I mean then then maybe I don't know because this is just theory because we know that's not the initial conversations that any of our professions get you know <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's just like hey just just be aware that if this these kind of things goes on but that's what I've noticed uh kind of I was gonna say in the industry but that doesn't doesn't really fit uh, just in the worlds that we're talking about you know bringing guys like us in just like that's why you wrote a book that's why you that's why I'm doing what I'm doing that's why we're having this podcast it's like hey if the organizations don't want to talk about it fine you know bring an old guy in and say hey you're gonna love this job it's the greatest job there is on the planet with it there comes a lot of things you know and so here's some things to be aware of because most of the times only briefings that we get and we hear about is like, here's the indicators of suicide. Here's the end, you know, all these like, hey man, we've already, now we're, we're way far down the road yeah. and we're talking about things that none of us really are qualified to, to really even be, like I'm supposed to identify, like I can, I, you and I have worked together for, let's say for 10 years, I'm gonna identify when you're not acting how you normally act. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, that's a, that to me is the indicators that we talk about. When I start coming out of pattern, you're like, Hey Tom, what, what are you doing, man? Like you're hanging out here longer. You're going like if my normal pattern is I work and I go home and I'm with my family and on the weekend, you know what I mean? And I start coming out of pattern, you know I mean? Those are the real indicators, you know, of, uh, and it doesn't have to be anything drastic, you know, but, yeah. but you know me, no one knows us like our teammates, right? I mean, yeah. And we all know, you know, uh, when someone has stuff, has stuff going on, you know, and, uh, and it's up to us in my, now this is my experience and opinion is, uh, it's up to us, meaning the teammates to look out for one another, you know, where I see you struggling, I, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, bro, you know, I'm just, no, 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 bro, nothing. Like, what, what's going on, man? Like this, this is not okay. This is not who you are. It's not who you want to be. I know you, I know your goals. I know how you operate. Like, no, this ain't, what do we need to do? You know, because if I say to you, hey, if you need some help, just let me know. You know, um, let me yeah. know, man, because it's not in our nature. We're not going to, I'm not going to put my burden on you. I'm not going to, it's not in our culture. It's not, my job is to help others. My job is to be there for my teammates, not take from my teammates. And that was one of the hardest things that I had to, I had to process uh, was me asking for help. And when I say that, uh, like I said, I've been asking for help for a long time. So it wasn't ego involved. It was just, uh, for me, what was going on was like, man, how did I go from being the guy that's helping all these people and I'm an asset to my team and I'm helping the team. You know what I mean? I'm just, 
I'm a fuck, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm an asset, man, you know, right. and, I, and I'm providing for my community and my country. And now something happened along the way. And now I can't figure out how to get home. You know what I mean? Or, and now I'm the guy that's needs help. So it didn't really, it didn't have anything to do with ego with me. It, I just couldn't figure it out. It's like, dang, man, what, what happened? You know, how do I, I, I mean, and I, I did, you know, I, I, because of my prior training, you know what I mean? I, in my goals, I wanted to live, which is an important decision that everyone has to make is, is do you want to live or not? You know, and uh, I wanted to live and I wanted to be there for my family and I wanted to be a dad and I wanted to be a good husband and I wanted all those things, but I wasn't going to be none of those things without some extra training, you know, and, um, and that's what I did, you know, and uh, I don't know, I'm just really grateful for, you know, everybody that, that, you know, is, is, is trying to continue to serve, you know, because it's like we had said at some point, it's just a continuation of our path. We didn't die. Uh, so our job now is to provide for others and, and to serve, you know, and as soon as I stop serving, I start tanking, man. Because uh, if I'm not thinking about you, guess who I'm thinking about? Me. Yeah. And, uh, and if I'm thinking about me, I'm thinking what I'm getting or not getting or how I'm feeling. And, you know, that's just nowhere to, <laughs> nowhere to go for long, you know. Yeah. One, one thing that I wanted to touch on before we go is, and it's something that I've brushed over in other episodes, but I would imagine that this is probably familiar to you and, and the culture that you came from. Um, so there's, there's some people that I worked with and it's a personal experience as well. You know, I, I struggled with, with drinking um, and then there were, there would be times that I would go, man, I, I, I've like increased the amount of alcohol I'm consuming. And my line of thinking would be, okay, well, I'm not going to drink if I'm at work, so I'll go work more. Yeah. And before you knew it, I was working way more than I should have been because now I'm exposing myself to even more traumatic events. Yeah. And but I'm maintaining where, when I'm at work, I'm in the sweet spot. I know that yeah. world and I'm, and I can deliver. Yeah. It's when I go home, I'm not the same person that I was. Yeah. And that's what I'm running from yeah. is, is that reality. Yeah. So I think even if I wasn't drinking, even if I wasn't like, having mood swings that kind of thing i am kind of pulling back from the life that i'm actually working for you know i'm i'm going to work to provide for this life yeah. but i'm not experiencing it right and and i think that that's a, a big warning sign for for a lot of I, I think a lot of people don't view that as an issue because you know you're working you're making money you're actually contributing yeah but you're you're not to your family yeah man and that's and i, I mean i ran into that that's exactly what i did like i said i i didn't have alcohol or drugs or anything going on but 
work became the focus, like you said, man, because I love it and I'm good at it and uh, it's my medicine and everything. But when it, it always comes down, that's why I love this statement and it's not anything earth shattering. It's like, hey, is it working or not working? Meaning is the life, you know what I mean, that I want uh, and what I'm doing to attain it both sides of the house, you know, as of my profession and my home life, you know, hey, is it working for me? Because every family dynamic is different, you know what I mean? So it just, you know, everybody's to each their own, you know, kind of deal. But like to your point as the man, if that, for me, when my home life started getting jammed up, you know, because I was leaning too much on the work side, uh, you know, then, then it just creates that, that, that bad train wreck that's coming you know because what i need to do is pause you know and have more conversations with my wife what i need to do for me and i'm speaking for personal experience is more books on how to be a better dad you know <laughs> or you know talking to my buddy who's like man i want to be a dad like that guy you know and uh yeah. because that, you know what i mean and then focusing some of my efforts on instead of running and hiding because that's what i'm doing you know what I mean? And staying in my sweet spot, you know, and becoming like a workaholic, you know, and to, to, to because uh, it's about emotions, right? Because uh, a child requires me to be at a certain uh, emotional maturity level, you know, uh, or a teenager, you know what I mean? Especially teenagers, right? Or and my wife, you know what I mean? Versus it being at work, I don't have to really concern myself with emotions. Like we're on the job. Like, hey, the, you know, hey, we have to move past our emotions. You know what I mean? We have to, yep. you know what I mean? In spite of what we're feeling, we have to do what needs to be done. You know, so processing and emotions and, you know, I don't like what you're doing. I just yell at you. You know what I mean? And you yell back at me and then that's common. You know I mean? No one cares. <laughs> but I go home, my wife yells at me. I yell back, you know, the kids, are, the next thing you know, everybody's yelling like, no, that, that no, man, it doesn't what works in this environment, you know, doesn't work in this other environment. But again, it comes back to training. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be this big emotional, this big upheaval. I can ask myself, is this the kind of husband that I want to be? Yeah. The answer is yes or no. Yeah. You know, and is this the kind of dad that I want to be? Yes or no. I mean, if the answer is yes, then hey, continue on, my man, you know, like rock on. <laughs> if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, well, Okay, so it's, the answer is no. So what do you want to do about it? Because it ain't just going to get better. Nothing just gets better, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's that's where I like to keep it without be it getting off philosophical and, uh, you know, whatever anyone's thing is, you know, it's like, uh, hey, it's either working or not working. If it's working for you, right on. If it's not, okay, then get back into what we do as a profession, which is problem solve. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You go into a fire, what's the, I mean, you're just coming up to it. I mean, you are trying to solve that problem. That's what, I mean, all of our professions, whether it's firefighters, law enforcement, paramedic, military, if there's one commonality that we have, it's we solve problems. Some of us solve problems with guns, you know what I mean? Some of them with, uh, with water, some with talking, some, I mean, there's different ways, but we solve problems. So when we have problems in our home, let's say, or in our personal lives, like solve it. Yeah. And if we can't solve it, then we seek 
outside agencies, right? I mean, in the job, like, hey, we call for backup, we call for help. It's common practice. Yep. You know, so that's where I try to keep the narrative is just like, hey, man, just do what I did in the military, except now I, I got to do that in my personal life and home life. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, if I needed backup, I called backup. If I needed a medic, I called a medic. You know what I mean? And if I needed assets, like, hey, do the same thing at home. Don't be freaking dramatic about it, you know, or because if you'd have done that on the job, like if you needed assets that were available to you and you didn't ask for them, like you're getting close to being fired because that yeah. just makes you dumb, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you're putting other people at risk. So you're about to get fired. <laughs> so, so that's what's always been the dilemma for me. It's like, man, take my mindset that I used efficiently and effectively in the military and apply it to my personal life. Yeah. I came in, analyze the problem, problem solve, bring buddies in on it. You know what I mean? But the, you know, if it was easy, that's what we would all do, you know, but I always come back to like, man, I, I already have the tools in the toolbox. I just need people to help me figure out how to use them sometimes, you know? Tom, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and share your story and, you know, everything that you're doing and, and helping, continuing to help people. Um, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, just for those listening, I will have links to your website and more information about uh, Warrior's Heart. Uh, so those listening, um, they, they'll be able to learn more about you and what your foundation is doing. But what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, man, the, the best way, uh, as far as on the warrior's heart side of the house is, uh, is warriorsheart.com. I try to keep it simple. You know, it's like, a, if you go to warriorsheart.com, it's got loads of information. There's videos on there, everything. And there's also a, uh, a phone number, uh, and that phone number is, uh, 866-868-9383. And if you call that number, it'll get you to an admissions advocate. Uh, and we call them admissions advocate because that's what they do is immediately start advocating for who's on the other end of the phone, whether it's a warrior in need or their family member or friend. And, uh, and even if it's just answering questions and understanding what's going on, obviously for that process, but it's uh, back to your question of the best way to get a hold of us, uh, that just go to warriorsheart.com. All right, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for your service and the service that you continue to provide. Uh, I'll have all your links and everything in the show notes. So the people listening be easy enough to, to reach out. So thank you. That sounds, that sounds great, brother. And thanks for having me. Really yes, appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. 
and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.